Hi Brickies, I'm Dominic, the last one standing with a kink for cannibalism. And I'm Kate, the resident phobia expert who also hears voices. And you're listening to Shit and Bricks. A podcast where we talk shit about stuff that scares us. Ripping a few laughs and survival tips along the way. As always, please subscribe, rate and review us. And don't forget to follow us on the socials at Shit and Bricks Podcast. Like the morning after a night on the curries and cans, here it comes. So drop your ducks, pop a squat and let's get into it. It looks like I've got pink eye, but I don't. Just warning you. Okay, that's what they all say. <laughs> I uh, Eurovision happened recently, and I did a bunch of Swedish makeup because I wanted Sweden to win. Because yeah. whoever won Eurovision this year was where Kane and I are going to go for our honeymoon. Oh, stop it! That's fantastic. And I was hoping Sweden would win, and they did. But I had makeup on, and. My eyelid is just really angry at me for putting makeup on and rubbing it off and putting it on and rubbing it off. Yeah. So it's not pink uh, eye. Yeah. Working girl life. It's hard. Well, what are you going to do, you know? <laughs> oh, okay. Let's stretch the neck. <laughs> Hi, Kate. Hi, Dom. <laughs> There's a lot of physical preparation for this episode. I'm a bit concerned I haven't limbered up enough. I know. It's a bit like that, actually. Yeah. Should I be uh, doing some of these? Usually when I do this, though, something in my neck will just snap and I'll be like, oh, no, no, I can't move my neck for four days. <laughs> Kate's lost her head again. So <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I never lose my head, Dom. How is your head? Haven't had any complaints. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, goodness. But you're uh, well? How are things? I am well. Things are great. Things are great. I'm grateful for a support network around me that is second to none. It's been an interesting week since we last spoke um, and there's been a lot going on. So I can't thank those people enough. A special shout out to Jess, uh, J. You're just a saint and I love you and you're just the bloody best. And I know she listens, so I just thought I would give her a little shout out. Um, but yes, I am really well. And just, yeah, again, grateful for everyone around me. How are you, Dom? I'm feeling very grateful too, Kate. I think yeah. it's a week of gratitude because this week is Ida Hobbit. Which it is. is. Yeah, International Day Against Homophobia, Biophobia, Transphobia, Intersex Discrimination, and just you know, all the bad shit, all yeah. the faux bosses that we don't like. Absolutely. I got to philosophically realign a student today uh, around that day because we know that tomorrow is the usual celebration, but our school chose to celebrate it today, which was fantastic. So we had a lot of festivities out in the courtyard at lunchtime. Um, yes, but there are some people, some students, some young folk that aren't quite aware of the meaning behind the day uh, and so think that they're funny, cute little behaviours uh, funny and cute. And I'll tell you right now, neither of those things. So <laughs> that's always a fun conversation when I like to ask what they're doing. I'm like, what, what are you doing there? Why is your friend running away from a rainbow lapel and being frightened by that? And why are you threatening him with a rainbow lapel? Talk to me about that. And their answers are always very naive. They have no idea what they're doing um, until I throw the hammer down and Ooh. then they go, okay, fair enough. And I go, 
get out of my face. <laughs> Call me Thor. <laughs> yes, literally, Thor of behavioral philosophical realignment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kate, shall we do a little? Skipping. <laughs> it's like a musical. I like it. It was, yeah, a little interlude. We were changing sets, so we had to come up with a number. Love it. So this week, folks, uh, please go check out all of our social media at shitten.bricks.podcast. We love putting up lots of funny videos and snippets from these episodes and more. So go check it out. Instagram and TikTok, they're our favorite. Yeah, do it. Uh, Patreon as well, uh, your folks, you're missing out each week. Kate and I are bringing bonus content for you and it only costs you like a couple of bucks. Yeah, so, jump on. Love to yeah. see you. It's lots of fun. Um, and we're keeping up the tradition. I've got a cliffhanger this week and you're only going to know the ending if you're a Patreon. I love it. I love it. When you say the word cliffhanger, it makes me think of the film Misery, which I'm studying with my year nine media kids at the moment. And there's a scene when Annie Wilkes is talking about uh, cliffhanger and then Paul says uh, they're also called chapter plays. And she goes, I know what they're called. (laughs) I'm not stupid. Um, So we, it's also, you know, it's a chapter play, a chapter play of an episode. Absolutely. Thank you for the technical term there, Kate. So welcome. Uh, Don't forget to give us uh, your opinions of the episode or the show in general. We are all about ratings and reviews this year because they go a long way for getting our show in front of new eyes. So at the end, don't forget to spend a couple of seconds just giving us whatever number of stars, but we have a sneaking suspicion it'll be five. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Um, and this week, Kate, we are celebrating and featuring from our BooPod network the Mums, Mysteries and Murder. Murder. It's literally my favourite podcast title. It's so to good. Say. Yeah. I say it like that every time. Mums, Mysteries and Murder. Yeah, lots of fun. Really funny duo from Marty and Effie. Um, both on their socials and in the episodes too, just I wet myself sometimes. So, you know, <laughs> if you've got an incontinence problem, yeah, get on board. Yep, let's do it. <laughs> Hi, I'm Marty. And I'm Effie. And we would love you to come and join us on our podcast, Mums, Mysteries and Murder. Each month we take turns telling you true crime stories and mysteries from our places of birth, Australia and Scotland. I'm covering Australia. What's your favourite thing about Australia, Marty? It would have to be the weather and the meat pies. The meat pies are strong in Australia. (laughs) The meat pie game is good. Really? (laughs) Oh. Uh, I'm covering Scotland. What's your favourite thing about Scotland? And macaroni pies and haggis. Haggis balls. Macaroni. <laughs> should not be in a pie. Have you tasted one though? No, I don't need to. It's like Mars bars. It's amazing. <laughs> if you love podcasts that are on point, heavily researched and full of gruesome details, that's probably not us. But if you do love a bit of true crime chat, Netflix recommendations and random banter, we do talk about last meals a lot, don't we? Yeah, but it's a good topic. Macaroni pie for yeah. the last meal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Me 
Spotify, then come join us where you get your podcasts. And we would love it if you would subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. Come and follow us on Instagram at Mums Mysteries and Murder. Bye. Bye. I think that's it, Kate. I don't think I've forgotten anything. And if I did, whatevs. No, I like it. I think that's right. You did the socials. You did the ratings. You did the uh, other pod, the boot pod. Yeah. We're good. We're good. We're good to go. Lizzie's given me the thumbs up. So she's good. She's She's wearing a very jaunty hat today. Hi, Liz. (laughs) Isn't that cute? Your little cute little number. Look at you with the feathers on top. Bless you. So even Liz is celebrating Ida Hobbit. Thank you, Liz. She is. Yeah, she is also wearing a rainbow leotard. So very fetching. (laughs) (laughs) Everything tucked away nicely. Yes, yes. There's a little bit of a koala ears situation, but aside from that, do you know what? Wear whatever you want. Live your dreams. If you feel comfortable and happy, then so do I. (laughs) All right. Well, that is the end of... Keep it. Nailed it. <laughs> flawless. <sighs> Absolutely flawless. Flawless, darling. Okay, Kate. Yes. Guess what? Do you have a story for us today? I've got not one, but two. What? Oh my god, I'm so excited because I didn't write anything, so I got a bit panicked for a second. <laughs> I know, even I was just like, is it is my it week? <laughs> Am I the drama? Am I the drama? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is me this week. And my episode, I've kind of decided to take a little bit of a break from doing like the top 100 phobias. Sure. And I'm just going back to my good old roots of mysteries unsolved cases, just the things that frighten me. So this week I am doing two tales of real life Taken. You know, the movie series Taken? of course, with Liam Neeson. Your favourite? My favourite. Well, one off. Yeah. (laughs) So I've got two mega stories, but uh, we'll get through one of them pretty quick smart, but the second one is a little bit more convoluted and pretty unbelievable. But I'm going to leave it on a cliffhanger or, Yay. as Kate calls them, a... chapter play. Yeah. So if you would like to hear he the ending... He didn't get out of the cock duty car! <laughs> <laughs> if you've seen Misery, by, uh, directed by Rob Reiner, starring Kathy Bates and James Kahn, you'll be right on board with this episode today. <laughs> yeah. You, you're getting every reference. Yeah. If you, if you haven't, then you've got no idea what I'm talking about. But that's okay. What's new? <laughs> you're learning a lot about us. You that's are. That's what's new. <laughs> okay. Shall we jump in? Uh, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Uh, do it anyway, regardless of my response. No, I can't wait. Let's do it. Okay. So episode... 80 this week it's called taken for real and first story is the disappearance of tara calico (gasps) tara which is funny because uh, another podcast that we are connected to actually did this story just recently so our timing is impeccable but perfectly i've got some new stuff for you so let me introduce you to tara lee calico she was born february 28th 1969 which is the year that 
We went to the moon. 69 was invented. Oh, that we went to the moon. Sure. And 69. Uh, She is, was an American woman who disappeared near her home in Belen, New Mexico on the 20th of September, 1988. I was born then. Yes. Oh. Now she is widely believed to have been kidnapped or so everyone thought. And that's where we'll end today's episode. And that's it. I'm done. I'm going home. Ciao. I am home, but I'm going further home. Why don't you come to my home and I'll go to your home? <laughs> Switch it up. Let's go to one of our listeners' home. Oh, knock, knock. <laughs> Give us five stars, you prick. <laughs> Now, Calico's case received extensive coverage on television programs such as A Current Affair, Unsolved Mysteries, and America's Most Wanted. It was also profiled on the Oprah Winfrey Show and 48 Hours. So this is a pretty well-known story. Yeah, it's a legit case. But, Kate, do you know anything about it? Nope, never heard of Tara Calico in my life. I know that Calico is really good at making bags, but apart (laughs) from that... There you go. Yes, she was a bag maker. She's a bag lady. <laughs> okay, so the disappearance of Tara. Now, this happened on Tuesday, the 20th of September, 1988. Tara left her home at about 9.30 a.m. to go on her daily bike ride along New Mexico State Road 47. She rode that route almost every morning and was sometimes accompanied by her mother, Patty Dole. However, Patty stopped riding with Calico after she felt that she had been stalked by a motorist. Mm. Just keep that in the back of your mind. She advised her daughter to think about carrying Mace, but Tara rejected the idea. On the morning of Tara's disappearance, she had told Patty to come and get her if she was not home by noon, and as she had plans to play tennis with her boyfriend at 12.30. When her daughter did not return, Patty went searching for uh, for her along Tara's uh, usual bike route but could not find her. She then contacted police. Pieces of Tara's Sony Walkman. <gasps> Throwback. Throwback. My goodness. What a legendary piece of. I bet it was yellow too, the yellow one. Yeah. Yeah. So Tara's Sony Walkman and cassette tape were later discovered along the road. Patty believed that she might have dropped them in an attempt to mark her trail. Several people saw Tara riding her bicycle, which has never been found, and no one witnessed her presumed abduction, although several witnesses observed a light-coloured pickup truck, possibly a 1953 Ford, with a camper shell following closely behind her. Interesting. So I like the idea that she was dropping bibs and bobs for them to to track her. Absolutely. Smart. That that breadcrumb trail. Now, what is interesting about this case was soon to be discovered. Now, there are photographs that surfaced shortly after Tara's disappearance, Catherine. Now, on the 15th of June, 1989, a Polaroid photo of an unidentified young woman and a mysterious boy, both gagged with black duct tape and seemingly bound, were discovered in the parking lot of a convenience store in Port Street, Joe, Florida. 
Now, the woman who found the photo said that it was in a parking space where a white windowless Toyota cargo van had been parked when she arrived at the store. She said that the van was being driven by a man with a moustache who appeared to be in his 30s. Oh, with a moustache. Moustache. A moustaka. A moustacha. <laughs> Police set up roadblocks to intercept the vehicle, but the man was never has never been identified. And according to Polaroid officials, the picture had to have been taken after May 1989 because the particular film used in the photograph was not available till then. I want to be a Polaroid official. I know. What's that about? <laughs> How good's that? On your Kodak, badge. FBI. Excuse me, Polaroid official coming through. <laughs> and is their calling card on a Polaroid? Wow. How cool. You got to shake it, shake it. <laughs> Isn't that a isn't that a myth? It's isn't a myth. It like, you shouldn't yeah. shake it because it makes the like the ink and the stuff go funny. Oh. You should just leave it, snap it, pop it, leave it. Oh, okay. That's like my last relationship. <laughs> now the photo was broadcast on a current affair in July, and Patty was contacted by friends who had seen the show and thought the woman resembled. 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 Welcome to the podcast, Resembled. Go and sit with Lizzie. She's wearing a (laughs) jaunty hat and a delightful rainbow onesie. Leotard. Okay, so it looked like Tara, though. They're like, that looks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So no one knew who who these people were, but friends of Patty were like, oh, holy shit, that looks like Tara. Maybe this is a photo of Tara. So they contacted her. Um, where was I? Yes. Now, relatives of Michael Henley, also of New Mexico, who had disappeared in April 1988, saw the episode and said that they believed he was the boy in the photo. Now, Patty and Henley's parents both met with investigators and examined the Polaroid. Patty said that she was convinced it was Tara, her daughter. Okay. You know. She also noted that a scar on the woman's leg was identical to one that Tara had received in a car accident. That's, That's pretty a bit telling. more convincing. Yeah. Now, in addition, a paperbook copy of V.C. Andrews' My Sweet Audrina, said to be one of Tara's favourite books, can be seen lying next to the woman. Okay. Also in the photo. Mm-hmm. Now, Scotland Yard analysed the photo and concluded that the woman was Tara. But a second analysis by the Los Alamos National Laboratory disagreed and an FBI analysis of the photo was inconclusive. So we've got one that says yes, one that says no, and one that's inconclusive. So what the fuck, what the fuck? What the hell? What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) Now, Henley's mother of the little boy said that Mm -hmm. she was almost certain it was Michael in the Polaroid. But it's really hard to... Decipher, right? Because these are Polaroids. They're Mm -hmm. fully like black masking tape gagged across the face. There's a photo on our socials, which you can sew. It's kind of hard. Yeah. And even like I've got Polaroids on my fridge from like weddings and stuff. And I'm like, I can't. I mean, I'm staring at the camera, but the flash is so bright in my face. Like it would be, it's hard to tell that it's me if I wasn't there and knew that that it was in fact me. Yeah. And I didn't have masking tape on my face at that point of the night. So it was wild. Your face can do some wonderful things in Polaroid. That's why people think it's really, you know, cool and yeah. retro to still have it. Definitely. Um, and I'm just going to quickly show you, Kate, on yes. the screen. Like, that's the photo. Oh, damn. Yeah, right. 
Okay. Like, hard to focus, right? Yeah. But, you know. No, I see that. Anyway, so. Yeah. Okay. So there's difficult. enough of their face, like it's a part the the the, the duck mask. Yeah, yeah tape. Whoa. The tape. masking tape. Yeah. <laughs> The tape. Even when I thought about it, I was like, "Uh oh, I've had a brain." It's like problem. electrical tape. Yeah, um, like gaffer tape across their mouth, uh, which would be horrendous to get off. Um, but there's enough of their face to see, like eyes, nose. Yeah. Their eyes are open. It's just there's a lot. But yeah, as you say, it's a Polaroid. It's not as clear. Exactly. Now Henley's mother, like I said, she was almost certain. Now, the identification of the boy in the photograph as Henley is considered highly unlikely. His remains were discovered in June 1990, two years following, in the Zuni Mountains, about seven miles from his family's campsite from which he had disappeared and 75 miles from where Tara disappeared. Mm. Police believe that Henley wandered off and subsequently died of exposure which is horrific. That is sad. Now, that's not the only photo, Catherine. Oh, snap. Tell me about the next one. In 2009, 20 years after the Polaroid photo was found and shared by the media, pictures of a boy were sent to the Port Street Joe Police Chief David Barnes. He received two letters postmarked on June 10th and August 10th, 2009 from Albuquerque, New Mexico. One letter contained a photo printed on copy paper of a young boy with sandy brown hair. Someone had drawn a black band in ink on the photo over the boy's mouth as if it were covered in tape as in the 1989 picture. Yeah. The second letter contained an original image of the boy And on August 12th, the Star newspaper in Port Street, Joe received a third letter also postmarked in Albuquerque on October 10th and depicting the same image of a boy with black marker drawn over his mouth. Hmm. The boy has not been confirmed to be the same one as in the previous photo. None of the letters contained a return address or a note indicating the child's identity, making the officials believe it may have something to do with the disappearance of Tara Calico. Uh The letters were sent at the same time that a self-proclaimed psychic had called about Tara, saying that she had met a runaway in California with whom she worked in a strip club. This girl was eventually murdered. Murder. Now, the caller said she had dreams suggesting the runaway may have been Tara and that she may be buried in California. Searches did not lead to any discoveries. The photos were given to the FBI for further investigation in hope of finding fingerprints or possible DNA evidence. Two other Polaroid photographs, possibly of Tara, have surfaced over the years. The first found near a construction site in Montecito, California, and is a blurry photo of a girl's face with tape covering her mouth and light blue striped fabric behind her, similar to that on the pillow in the Toyota van photo. So this is just found on the ground at a construction site? Yes. What? Yes. Oh, my God. Why not? Oh, my God. (laughs) 
It was taken on film that was not available until June 1989. And the second shows a woman loosely bound in gauze, her eyes covered with more gauze and large black framed glasses with a male passenger beside her on an Amtrak train. Right. Now, the film used for that photo was not available until February 1990. Mm. Now, Tara's mother believed the first one was Tara, but thought that the second may have been a gag. Her sister stated they had a striking, uncalming resemblance. As for me, I will not rule them out, but keep in mind our family has has had to identify many other photographs and all but those three were ruled out. Okay. First of all, I just think it is a wild that there's just this like phenomenon of, you know, supposedly kidnapped women photographs just laying about all over the joint. Turn it up. Just turn it up at a bloody construction site and next to a bloody van and parking on the street and stuff. It's wild. It's intense. It's like what's going on. And the fact that they reference having to, you know, review shitloads of these photos. It's yeah. just I just like, oh, my goodness, will it ever end? And imagine that being your life, yeah. having to relive this trauma over and so over. So being part of the Polaroid Club, that's your job. I don't want to look at those pictures as my job nonstop. No. It's tricky. Okay. Ooh, excuse me. I'm going to take that out um (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm a better storyteller than that (laughs) oh shit i am gonna take that out (laughs) (laughs) i'm just fucking tired as you can tell by my eyes oh i thought that was pink eye (laughs) (laughs) yeah now later developments in 1998 tara was declared officially dead Dead. A judge ruled her death a homicide. Okay. Now, why is that? So in 2008. Sorry, I just want to ask. So they just have a bunch of cases and stuff that are just like cruising around their desks and they go, oh, yeah, this one looks pretty old. We should close it. I think it takes a bit more than just that. Yeah. But it's it's a likely, I think it's a question of likelihood. Yeah. Uh, And And also new evidence and stuff, right? Mm. Like they'd have to have new evidence. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Now, she was officially declared dead in 1998, but in 2008, Rene Riviera, the sheriff of Valencia County, reported that he received information that two teenagers had accidentally hit Tara with a truck. They panicked and subsequently killed her. I'm sorry, I'm laughing. Because you just, like, accidentally hit someone with a truck. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> Sorry. I booped you. <laughs> Unfortunately, this is a two ton machine. So you've died. I'm <laughs> terribly yeah. sorry. What an accident. Well, according to Riviera, the boys who knew Tara drove up behind her in a truck and some form of accident in- like followed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Whether they were stalking her, whether they were taunting her, whether it was an accident accident, I don't know. Yeah, okay. Tara later died and those responsible covered up the crime. Now, Riviera stated that he knew the names of those involved, but that without a body, he could not make a case. Yeah. 
He did not release the evidence that led him to this conclusion. And Tara's stepfather, John, said that the sheriff should not have made these comments if he was not willing to arrest anyone and that strong circumstantial evidence should be enough for Mm -hmm. a conviction. Yeah. In October 2013, a six-person task force was established to reinvestigate Tara's disappearance. And as 2017, no arrests have been made and the case remains open. (sighs) On October 1st, 2019, the FBI announced that they are offering a reward of up to $20,000 for precise details leading to the identification or location of Tara Lee Calico and information leading to the arrest and conviction of those responsible for her disappearance. What are your thoughts on that reward? 20 grand. Uh, I'm just the idea of a monetary reward for these things makes me feel icky. Yeah, yeah, fair. But I also can understand if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. I yeah. just don't like that we live in a world where money should money be a motivator rewards. for you to tell someone if somebody died. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but 20,000 is, I don't know, like. <laughs> I wouldn't say no to 20 grand right now. Like, I know, but, but, it, but it's not a lot of money. Is no, it? that's what I think. That's what I was thinking where I'm just like, what is the, yeah, it doesn't seem a lot. I don't know. I don't know the psychology. I've been curious to know what the psychology is behind monetary rewards and whether it's just like a legacy thing in the States where they yeah. just do that to bring attention to the case. And yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, so in September, 2021, so not that long ago, The Valencia County Sheriff's Office and the New Mexico State Police issued a statement that they have a new lead in the case and that the focus of a sealed warrant for an unknown private residence located within Valencia County has been issued. However, no further details have been provided. And that's the latest I can find on this case. Okay. So we're only talking two years ago. Yeah. It is quite possible that we could see a solution. Solution to this and then do a revisit episode. Yes, but Amazing. quite an interesting sort of mystery. So little evidence and then all these photos. Mm-hmm. Okay, Kate, that was the disappearance of Tara Calico. I'm not going to say that that was like a stock standard story, but... I don't know, we've heard similar stories before, but I'm about to blow your fucking mind wide open. Outstanding. I need my mind to be blown wide open. Let's do you, it. You will not you will not believe this next case. This okay. is the Glico Moranaga case. Okay, Glico. Glico Moranaga case. Oh my goodness. So do you know Pocky, that yummy little chocolate? Oh biscuit yeah, the treat? little bis- yeah, the little sticks. Yes, yeah. I do. Yeah. So this is the organization that made owns Pocky. Pocky. Mm. Stop it. I know. Okay, I wasn't expecting that. All right. I know. Let's That's go. how weird this story this is, is. This is good. Okay. This is wild. So the Glico Moranaga case, also known by its official designation um, as 114. Um, it's I thought a, you were going to say like the Pocky. 
But the Pocky, Pocky predicament. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good name. They should have called it that. Well, I'm actually part of the Polaroid crew, so I can't come and do names for your cases. But you got Polaroids, I'm in. The alliteration game is strong tonight, folks. Yes. Now, this is a famous extortion case from 1984 to 1985 in Japan and is primarily directed at the Japanese industrial confectionaries Izaki Glico and Morinaga and currently remains unsolved. The entire case spanned 17 months from the initial kidnapping of the president of Glico to the last known communication from the prime suspect, a person or group known only as the monster with 21 faces. Wow. Okay, that's quite a lot of faces. That's quite specific. Yeah, just <laughs> buckle up. This is I wild. Okay, okay, I'm in. Okay, let's start with the kidnapping. Let's. At around 9pm on March 18th, 1984, two masked men armed with a pistol and rifle forcefully entered Nishinomiya, Nishinomiya, Namaya, Nishinomiya. <laughs> I don't know that second time round was better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, good job, good job. It's the home of then Azaki Glico president, Katushisha. Katsuisha. Katsuisha Izaki. Welcome. We Lizzie's got a cup of tea for you guys, ready to go. Yeah. The home next door belonged to Katsuisha's 70 year old mother, Yoshi, and was located on the same property. The criminals broke into her home first and demanded the key to her son's home, which is quite. A smart fucking yeah. ploy. Because if they just come in with a key, you're not going to worry people as much. Yeah. Now, after entering the home of Katsuhisa, Katsuhisa Azaki, the two masked men tied up his wife, Mikieko, 35 years old, and his eldest daughter, Mariko, eight, before locking them inside a bathroom. The family's two other children, daughter Yukiko and son Itsuro, were asleep in another room and were left unharmed. The men then located Azaki himself, who was bathing at the time, and abducted the still-naked man from his home. Azaki was taken to a small warehouse in Briaki, Osaka. That's this why I always, I always have a bath with my clothes on. <laughs> I, if I'm getting abducted, I do not want to be nude because I will get cold. I'm, I just, I'm going to get cold. So... People tease me, and by people, I mean Hillary and Jess, tease me all the time about going to school camps and they have their pyjamas they wear and then I wear like a hoodie and trackies. Like I'm, I, I literally have my slides next to the door and at a moment's notice in the middle of the night when kids are being annoying, I can spring up and I'm fully dressed, pop my slides on and I'm good to go. You're up. I'm up. In a, in a, in an acceptable like an acceptable attire. Correct. That's right. I just look the same as I do most of the time. So that's what I would be doing. That's what I do at home is in the case of an emergency, always be dressed. Yeah. I do sleep naked though. I have okay. wondered sometimes when, <laughs> when I've suspected things or I'm like, if someone came in right now <laughs> and they tried to attack me, I would literally have to defend myself fully nude. Fully nude, which would be not funny in the set of the situation, <laughs> but funny is the fact kind that of it, it's kind of funny. <laughs> it's like shit's just Spling flapping it around. around. 
imagine if you like yes. hey, picked yourself in the bowls and you're like, oh, hold on a second. Hold on. Hang on. You literally saw that hit my testicle, my live yeah. testicle. So we need a pause. <laughs> okay. All right. Back to the story. Oh, love some testy chat though. Good on you. Bloody good so, on you, mate. That was 9 p.m. Yeah. At around midnight, the kidnappers directed a director of the company. Bad writing. Come on. Instructed a director of the company nice. to a ransom note in a public phone booth demanding one billion. Ah, oh, give me a break. Yen. Yen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 100 billion trillion gazillion billion yen (laughs) now that only translated to us 4.5 million okay like it's still a bit yeah but it sounds it sounds good though a billion yen but when they put the notice in the phone booth was someone like hanging around making sure some random person didn't just take it because that would foil your plan where you instruct the director to go to find the ransom note and then he turns up and he's like, guys, there's nothing here. Like I so can't. Some other idiot picked it up and is like, oh, God. Serious? Better, not going to be good. I'm going to toss that near a construction site where all the photos go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh. Um, but not only did they ask for all that money, they also asked for 100 kilograms of gold bullion. Oh, I thought you were going to say cocaine. And I'm like, that's a, an excessive amount of cocaine. That's unnecessary. That's a lot. <laughs> you don't kilos. But gold, that yeah, makes more sense. Now, however, after three days later on the 21st of March, Azaki managed to escape from the warehouse. Okay, that's good. <clears throat> now. In the blackmailing, this is a letter sent by the monster with 21 faces that was received on April 8th, 1984. So we're no longer kidnapping because Azaki's gotten out. Yeah. What's your next protocol? Let's do some blackmailing, shall we? Let's blackmail them. I want to do it. So this is a letter from the monster of 21 faces. To the police fools. Are you all stupid? What the hell are you doing with all that manpower? That's a strong opening, can I say? Can you give me that st- opening again? To the police fools. Are you all stupid? <laughs> what the hell are you doing with all that manpower? <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, that what was I think it is. so much better. I didn't even know you were going to change it up. I just like that, you police fools. Ooh, oh, you police, the, you police bills. bills. Oh, the bloody hell are you bloody idiots doing all those mates you got in the precinct. <laughs> you scallywags. <laughs> bloody scallywags. Go on, get out of here. You had a bloody good time. <laughs> so it goes, what the hell are you doing with all that manpower? If you're professionals, then come on, catch us. Ooh. We'll give you a hint since you're so handicapped. <laughs> There are none of us among Azaki's relatives. There are none of us among the Nishinomaya police. There are none of us among the Flood Prevention Corps. The car I bought was grey and the food I bought was from Dai. If you want more information, ask for us, ask for it in the newspapers. After telling you all this, you should be able to catch us. If you can't, then you're just tax leeches. 
Ooh. Shall we kidnap the head of the perfectual police too? Okay. So they're going for it. That's yeah, a strongly is... worded letter. It but is. also, do you know what I would be thinking immediately? Every single one of those places they said that we weren't a part of, I'd be like, they're 100% from each of those places. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely a family insider. There's definitely someone from the Street, street Sweepers Association or whatever the fuck that last one was. <laughs> and there's definitely somebody from the company. So we're going to check those places first, <laughs> dummies. Well, it's just it's a strong start. and We've got more letters to oh, go. I can't wait. Now, the extortion attempts against Glico did not end with the escape of Azaki. On April 10th, vehicles in the parking lot of the Azaki Glico headquarters trial production building were set on fire. Oh. Then on April 16th, a plastic container containing... Oh, <gasps> a plastic container containing... Oh, come on. A director was directed. This is spooky. Mm. Anyway, a plastic... Vessel containing yes. hydrochloric acid Very nice. and a threatening letter to Glico were found in Ibriaki. So, you know, there's some scary shit being yeah. directed. Yeah, they just they, they keep poking the bear for sure. Now, on May 10th, Glico began to receive letters from a person or group calling itself the monster with 21 faces, named after the villain of Edogaiwa Rambo's detective novels and also translated as The Fiend with 20 Faces. Okay. There's also there's some other reports of it being called The Phantom with 20 Faces. You Is know. it 20 or 21? I thought it was 21. Have they I lost know. a face? They've lost a they face. They lost one. They, so the, the real face and then the... The monster that was doing the hydrochloric acid spilt some on his face, therefore <laughs> now there's only 20 faces because sure. the other one melted off. What's a face? What's a face? Here or there. <laughs> Here or there. What's a face? Now, the monster also claimed to have laced some of the Glico uh, Izaki uh, candies and like food, like Pocky. <gasps> they claimed to have laced it with a potassium cyanide soda. So there's photos of this all happening and Glico pulled all of its products off the shelves at great expense, resulting in a loss of more than 21 million and a laying off of 450 part-time workers. Oh my gosh. This is like industrial espionage at its best. Yep. And the monster even threatened to place the tampered products in stores themselves just repeatedly. Oh my goodness. Not the Pocky. Yeah, yeah. Now, following these threats, a man wearing a Yomiuri Giants baseball cap was caught placing Glico chocolate on a store shelf by a security camera. A security camera photo was made public after this incident, and it is on our socials, folks, and it is scary okay. in the sense like it's like I can't believe this could be the monster with 21 faces. Now, meanwhile, the monster sent letters to the media taunting police efforts to capture the culprit or culprits behind the scare. An excerpt from one such letter written in Hiragana and with an Osaka dialect reads, Dear dumb police officers, don't tell a lie. All crimes begin with a lie, as we say in Japan. Don't, do you know what? <laughs> and now they're British. <laughs> I'm just doing some weird shit. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> I didn't know where you were going to go and I 
I'm so thrilled that's where you landed. It's, yeah. Don't tell a lie. Aye, fools, lying. It's like a Geordie <laughs> accent. I love it. Yeah. Now, this is a letter sent by the monster with the 21 Faces gang that was received on April 23rd, 1984. It was sent both to Sankai and Mainichi newspapers as well as the Koshin police station, and it read, Two police fools, you shouldn't lie. If you lie, you steal. I also sent this to the Koshin police. Why are you lying? Don't hide things. Why are you complaining? You guys are having such a hard time, so I'll give you a hint. I entered the factory from the side staff entrance. The typewriter we used is a PAN writer or pan writer. The plastic container used was a piece of street garbage. Monster. <laughs> With 21 faces. I just used a piece of street garbage. <laughs> God, nail us down now. Oh, street garbage. I know where those guys are. <laughs> I mean, granted, folks, this is being translated from yes. another language, so we just have to we have to keep that in mind. Okay, yeah. But, yeah, it's odd. Now, the monster eventually stopped contacting Glico and on June 26 issued a letter saying, we forgive Glico. What did Glico do? They started it. <laughs> However, the monster then turned its extortion campaign on Morinaga and the food companies of Murudai Ham and House Foods Corporation. So this group or people are just, they're going down the, the list of uh, uh, food corps. Big, yeah. yeah. Okay. So this began the Morinaga blackmailing. Oh. A threatening letter arrived at the Tokyo home of Morinaga Dairy Vice President Mitsuru Yamada on November 1st, 1984. This was one in a long line of extortion and harassment letters sent to various Japanese food companies by a criminal gang calling themselves the Monster with 21 Faces. They're back. In one of their letters, to President, you saw our power, didn't you? If you disobey us, we will destroy your company. You will get killed. Decide whether you want to give us money or do you want to see your company destroyed. Tell us in the Mainichi newspaper on either the 5th or 6th of November. Using the missing persons, use these words in the reply. Jiro, Morinaga, mother, police, bad friend, money, meal. Okay. As we said... I know. As we said, we want 200 million yen monster with 21 faces. Doubled up. Wait, no, more than that. They only wanted a million yen last time, didn't they? One billion One, yen. A billion. So now it's 200 yeah. million or 200 yeah. billion. 200 million. Oh, so it's, okay. It's less. Yeah. On November 6th, same year, Marinaga responded to the criminals by placing the missing persons advertisement in the Mainichi newspaper morning edition. It said, Dear Jiro, bad friend disappeared. Come back. Warm meal is waiting. Mother Chiyoko. <laughs> Two letters were also sent to the House Foods on November 7th, 1984. It's another company. Uh-huh. And also on the 7th, Morinaga and company, whose food products had been poisoned by the criminal gang, was forced to reduce its current production by 90%. I want no, like, what, who are these people? What are they doing? Why are they doing this? We'll get to it. Okay. Now, let me introduce you to the fox-eyed man. Okay. Welcome. Yep. Fox-eyed man. <laughs> Kettle's on. Come on in, doll. 
We love it. Love to see it. Now, police did get close to the suspected mastermind of the monster with 21 faces. However, on 28th of June, two days after agreeing to stop harassing Murudai in exchange for 50 million yen, which is only about 210,000 US dollars, mm-hmm. the monster arranged for a Murudai employee to toss the ransom money onto a local train heading toward Kyoto when a white flag was displayed. An investigator disguised as a Murudai employee and following the drop instructions of the monster spotted a suspicious man observing him when he was riding a train to the drop-off point. The man was described as a large, well-built man wearing sunglasses, his hair cut short and permed, but he had eyes like those of a fox. Okay. Now, when the white flag was not displayed, the undercover policeman and the fox-eyed man both disembarked from the train at Kyoto Station, and while the investigator waited on a bench, the fox-eyed man continued to observe him. He was just being watched. Yeah, the whole time. Okay. Creepy. The investigator later headed back to Osaka, and the fox-eyed man boarded another car in the same train. When the investigator then disembarked at Tatsutsuki Station, the fox-eyed man boarded a Kyoto-bound train and another undercover investigator tailed him from Kyoto. But the fox-eyed man eventually evaded all Mm. investigators. So they they never really understood who this fox-eyed man was. Who that fox-eyed man was or why he's following people and looking Mm. foxy. Now, police got a second chance at the fox-eyed man on the 14th of November when the monster group attempted to rob the house food corporation of 100 million yen in another secret deal. Now, at a rest stop on the Mishin Expressway near Otsu, investigators saw the fox-eyed man wearing a golf cap and dark glasses. But once again, he evaded capture. Ooh, he's wily. Like the a cash- fox. Like a fox. Oh. Now, the cash. Now, there's also a... Uh, add a sketch of the fox-eyed man, which okay. is going to be on our socials too. Amazing. Now, the cash delivery van they were tailing continued to head toward the drop point where they were to drop the money in, in a can under a white piece of cloth. When the delivery van reached the drop point, the white cloth was there, but the can was missing. As a result, the investigative team was ordered to withdraw, believing that the drop was an evaluation by the monster of police okay. of their response. Yeah. yeah. However, an hour earlier, a patrol car from the local Shiga Prefecture Police had spotted a station wagon with its engine running and its headlights off. The station wagon was also sitting less than 50 metres from a white cloth suspended from a fence. Mm -hmm. Unaware of the secret ransom drop, the police officer drove up to the station wagon and shone his flashlight on the driver, revealing a thin-cheeked man in his 40s wearing a golf cap over his eyes and more telling wireless receiver with headphones. Mm-hmm. Surprised by the policeman, the driver sped off with the police car following in pursuit until the station wagon lost him. The station wagon was later found abandoned near the Kusatsu station and had been discovered to have been stolen earlier in uh, nearby Kyoto Prefecture. Inside the abandoned car was a radio transceiver that had been eavesdropping in on radio communications between the police officers of six prefectures, including Osaka, Kyoto, and Kobe. 
which were all linked to where this drop point was going to occur. Okay. So they were so close again. They were again. so close. The bloody parolees messed them up. Also recovered, so I know, also recovered was a vacuum cleaner, although no evidence could be traced back to the monster group. So it's all, you know, strange, mm. but yeah. Following the blackmail campaign on house foods, the monster then turned its sights on the on Fujia in December 1984, another company. In 1985, police released the facial composite of the fox-eyed man to the public. And in August 1985, after continuing harassment by the monster with 21 faces and the failure to capture the fox-eyed man, Shiga Prefecture Police Superintendent Yamamoto killed himself what by self-immolation because he was so cross he couldn't save the case you will have to tune in to our bricking it episode which we're going to record get out of the cock-a-doody car i know right now but only for those that sign up to our patreon oh you did it you got him you hooked him I'm going to leave you there that the police superintendent that's been managing this whole investigation mysteriously killed himself by self-immolation. What's that? Burn alive. What? Yeah. Holy shit. I would have been more shocked had I known what immolation was. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty intense. Wow. Okay. That's quite a way to go. Okay, folks. Well, you know what you need to do. Go on to Patreon right now so that you can hear the rest of this flippin' story. I'm thrilled. I'm glad that I'm part of this podcast so I can uh, have a listen. But how cool. I just, I thought those two are what, I love mysteries. Yes. And especially one of them, you know, is very possible that we may get a solution to, but also yeah, yeah, yeah. like that other case. It's just this the This crackers. I love it. You said you were going to blow my mind and you have. I'm so excited. I can't wait to hear about what happens when we scooch over to our Patreon. Yes. But anyway, Kate, what can people expect of you next week? Oh, my God. Do you know what? I haven't even thought about it. Oh, that's okay. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Actually, I think I put something in the, the, uh, what do you call it, folder where we're supposed to do things. Um, (laughs) What was it? Let me look. I'm looking now. You can hear me clicker clicking because I did put something in there. I was on a roll last week. Um, Then I had a mental breakdown. So what a time to be alive. Sports. I don't know what that means, but apparently. (laughs) It could be something. It could be something interesting (laughs) to do with sports. I think that, to be honest, it links back to a documentary that I watched about a tennis player who was struggling with anxiety for a long time and didn't Mm. realise what it was because of the pressures of being a pro tennis player. Ah. And then uh, there was one point, and it made me feel really uncomfortable because it's one of my biggest fears, but he was sitting and playing a game of tennis and he can remember just sitting on the bench, like in between sets or games, whatever the, when they have a rest and they sit on the bench and have a drink and he can remember looking up at the clock, the game clock. And then all of a sudden his brain just went into full anxiety panic mode. And it was literally just a series of thoughts of like, oh, my God, look at the time. If I don't finish this game really soon, then I'm going to have to go, uh, like, I won't get back in time and I won't get enough sleep for the game tomorrow. And, that, and it just just snowballed and he just, just completely, cracked. yeah, cracked yeah. and had a complete panic attack, finished out the game and then goes on to explain the story about what was going on for him. So 
I'll revisit that, but that's, I believe, what it was that I was thinking when I wrote sports. But with me, who really knows? It's just luck of the draw. Luck of the draw. But, Dom, enough about that. Can we please go and finish this episode on Patreon? Because I'm gagged. We can, but until next week, folks, we'll see you. Uh, Please stay safe and be kind to each other this week. We need it. Do you know what else? If there's someone who's helped you in the past week or has just been there or has been kind to you and you've really appreciated it and you haven't told them, do it now. Send them a text, call them, see them at work, see them at home, whatever, and just go, do you know what? You actually really helped me this week and I I appreciate it. That's all you need to say. It means a lot. And, uh, yeah. Big, big love to you all. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Love you. <laughs> That's a wrap. Big shout out to everyone for tuning in to Shit and Bricks. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us. Plus, you can find extra little nuggets on our socials. Next week, we'll be back talking more shit, so do not forget to tune in. And remember to wipe, flush, and wash your hands. Goodbye. Goodbye.